Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday to you. It is 10 o'clock. I'm Tim Harris. That means it's time for Tim with Tim. Yesterday was uh, a Memorial Day, of course, but uh, I don't think Tim with Tim came up at 10 o'clock. I uh, don't know what happened, but I know it it, uh, it did appear later. Uh, I fixed it. And uh, so anyway, hopefully most of you caught up with yesterday. There was a 10 with 10 broadcast yesterday on Memorial Day. So if you missed it, you're a day behind. I apologize for that. Today, we are in chapter 26, verses 1 to 32. So if you missed chapter 25, go back, read chapter 25. Today, we're in chapter 26. Okay, uh, again, sorry for the mix-up. Don't know what happened. Uh, technology, you guys, uh, not always in control of, of how things work. But I'm thankful that most days... Uh, everything works. So uh, anyway, God, God is good and you're good. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for your commitment. I know some of you are really, really dedicated and, uh, and I love you for that. We're in chapter 26 in the book of Acts going verse by verse. Uh, if you're following closely, then, then you know that right now we are still in the culmination of the story that really began way back in chapter 21 when Paul was arrested uh, remember, in the context of that Jewish mob that came up in the temple courts, Paul was dragged out of the temple courts by the mob. The, the, the uh, Roman tribune sort of rescued him. And the story has sort of gone on and on from there. Paul addressed the Jewish mob in a fantastic you know, speech to them. Uh, Paul's been before the high council, before the Sanhedrin. Remember, uh, he accidentally smarted off to the high priest. The high priest had him you know, smacked. All of that. Uh, that was chapter 23. Uh, There's a plan to kill Paul. He was transferred to Caesarea. At that point, the Romans were more or less trying to protect the one they know now as a Roman citizen, and on and on it goes. Paul goes before Felix. Felix was uh, a, a Roman governor who eventually just left Paul in prison for two years, two years, hoping to get a good bribe out of him. Then Felix was replaced by Festus, and Festus is the one before whom Paul now stands. Paul at this point now has made his appeal to Caesar, which is his right, but at the same time it puts us in a complicated situation. From the very beginning, way back in chapter 21, the Jews had really three charges against Paul. The first was that he was somehow breaking their law. He was in some sort of offense of Jewish law. Second, that he had somehow desecrated the temple, the Jewish temple. And third, that he was somehow treasonous against Rome. Now, by the time we get to chapter, you know, where we are today, chapter 26, it's pretty clear that there's no witnesses, no evidence he did anything against the temple. I mean, it, that's in public, and there's not a single person who can testify and say that Paul did something against the Jewish temple. Third, by this point, everybody knows he hasn't really, he's not a Roman insurrectionist. He hasn't done anything against Rome. He's broken no Roman laws. That's clear enough. So now we have uh, Festus in this really you know, strange position. Paul's appealed to Caesar, so he's got to send him on to Caesar. We talked about this yesterday, but, but he doesn't have any charges. Like he doesn't not know how to send him because there hasn't been a verdict. There's been no guilty you know, verdict, no condemnation. And so this hearing in chapter 26 happens to be before Festus and King Agrippa. This is kind of a big deal. It's not a trial. It's just simply a hearing to try to figure out what the crime is. And as I said, of the three charges, two of them are pretty much dismissed by now because it's obvious he hasn't desecrated the temple and he isn't treasonous against Rome. So notice how in chapter 26, Paul's defense 
is mostly in response to the, you know, the accusation that he has somehow spoken or acted contradictory to Jewish law, to, to Jewish tradition. And so this is where Paul goes in chapter 26. It's really pretty fantastic. As far as an example of ancient Greek rhetoric, I mean, just, you know, public speaking, this is a masterclass. I mean, Paul is brilliant. And again, this really showcases his education and his uh, ability to make a speech. He starts out, uh, again, he's given permission to speak. He sort of gears everything toward King Agrippa. Uh, again, remember, uh, several times now, he's already been, you know, Paul, the Roman officials have said, man, I can't, I can't find anything he's done wrong against Rome. And so if the only remaining charge is that possibly Paul has broken Jewish law, then King Agrippa, who is the, you know, Jewish king, is in the best situation to determine. So everything is kind of directed toward Agrippa, although, you know, everybody who's anybody is kind of a part of this formal, you know, uh, hootie do. It's, it's kind of a big deal. Paul begins, notice what it says, uh, he just begins by gesturing with his hand. Now, earlier with the Jewish mob, he was gesturing with his hands like to tell them, oh, hey, chill, you know, be quiet, let me talk. But this is not that. In, in this particular setting, Paul is very measured, very, very uh, composed. And when a Greek uh, rhetorician, you know, would speak, uh, he would, uh, would always uh, extend his hand, you know, as, as if to the audience. And typically that, that speaking gesture was held throughout the speech. So Paul, at this point, extends his hand as an orator, you know, which, which sort of establishes his authority and his prerogative to speak. So again, this is a formal gesture now, not a, you know, a desperate kind of, hey, chill, let me talk. You know, this is taking the position as a Greek orator, and I think it's fantastic. His uh, use of language has elevated, you know, uh, 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 his elevated use of uh, Greek rhetorical custom is, is just beautiful. It would be really uh, typical to begin your speech with what's called a capitatio uh, benovolentia, I think is the word, benovolentia. Uh, in other words, it's just sort of establishing goodwill you know, kind of currying favor with the listeners. And so notice he's just like, man, I am so fortunate to be able to, you know, speak with you in the audience, King Agrippa. Uh, the, the, the fact that you're here, just, you know, I, I'm, I'm just the luckiest man in the world. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, you know, like, are you though? <laughs> you know, you are kind of on trial, you know, appealing to Caesar. Uh, but again, this is Paul, uh, you know, speaking well of the listeners as a way of demonstrating his own goodwill. Uh, you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. So, I, you know, you're, you are, you know, again, it's just masterful rhetoric here. That, that That's just what, as a Greek orator, you would do. And, and then he just moves on. He just moves on. He speaks of, uh, first off, his own continuity with Jewish hope. As Jewish leaders all aware, I was thoroughly, you know, trained in, in, in Jewish tradition. Uh, I was a member of the Pharisees. My hope in the fulfillment of God's promises, you know, in, in continuity with their hope. I mean, it's Paul establishing his Jewishness here in the context of King Agrippa. But here, notice he says, you know, I, you know they share the same hope I have. You know, he's just sort of saying, I'm no different. 
Paul is genuinely honest here. Paul sincerely believes that the gospel is just an extension of everything he learned as a, as, as a Jewish Pharisee. Um, he says, you know, why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? Notice how in chapter 26, it is the resurrection that Paul emphasizes. In verses 9 and, and, and 9, 10, 11, Paul goes on to stress, you know, listen, I was just like some of you. I was persecuting Jesus and, and the members of the way. I mean, I, I cast them into prison. I was right there when they were, you know, you know, sentenced to die. I mean, Paul, you know, gives his whole testimony here. Then he gives what is in the book of Acts, the third account, the third time we're told about Paul's experience on the road to Damascus. This one's different. Again, each time it's told, it's different. This time, there's no mention at all of Paul's blindness. Ananias isn't mentioned. He's got no common sense or uh, it's that sort of thing. It's like, Paul, you, you, you've gotten so deep in your studies that you've lost touch with reality. You're crazy now. You know, and Paul says, I'm, I, I'm not, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is sober truth. You know, I'm, I'm not crazy. I haven't gotten too lost in the, you know, intricacies of Jewish law here. No, no, no. I'm just telling you the truth. And King Agrippa knows everything I'm saying. Again, notice how Paul redirects back to King Agrippa, the Jew with which he's really trying to establish this connection. Verse 28, favorite, uh, famous and one of my favorite verses, Agrippa says in the Living Translation, do you think you can pers persuade him to become a Christian so quickly? Um, it's hard to know exactly what he's saying here. I don't think it means like, man, I'm telling you one thing. I'm I'm almost a Christian right here. I don't, I don't know if he's saying that. I think part of it is, um, again, Paul has just put a very specific question. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? You know, again, Paul is making the appeal here. And Paul is, you know, he is, he is closing the sale. And whatever King Agrippa here says is going to commit him one way or the other. If he says, no, I don't believe the prophets, well, then he's not a very good Jew, and that's going to get him in all kinds of trouble. On the other hand, if he says, of course I believe the prophets, well, then that's going to commit him from Paul's perspective to the gospel of Jesus. And so Agrippa, at this point, isn't so much answering as not answering. You see that? So he's like, you know, Paul, uh, you know, uh, you, you really think, you know, in that little speech, you know, you're, you're going to get me to say I'm a Christian. I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of that thing. It, it's, it's, it's Festus's refusal to make a commitment. Paul says, hey, whether you think it's quick or not, man, I tell you one thing, I'm praying everybody in this house to come to Jesus. I mean, Paul is awesome right there. He's preaching and that's the first full-blown invitation we've had from Paul. It's the real deal. Uh, but notice once more at the end, the verdict. And again, I'm stressing, I think that Luke is writing this as uh, defense materials for Paul. Because one more time, you've got the Romans and now the Jewish king. The Jewish king walking, not walking out with Bernice and they're saying, you know, he hasn't done anything. You know, he hasn't done anything to deserve punishment at none of this. And so, uh, you know, the, the bottom line there, verse 32, man, a fool could probably be set free if he hadn't made his appeal to Caesar, you know, because now he's appealed to Caesar. He can't just disappear. Paul set this legal thing in motion and now it's got to go all the way and understand um, in Paul's mind and in, in, in the you know providence of God, this isn't a legal proceeding. This is an evangelistic mission. This is Paul getting a trip to Rome to share the gospel, and Rome's going to pay for it. You, you know, it's that sort of thing. But the truth of the matter is, these officials can't just let it go away. Paul made the appeal, but at least now they're going to send him forward, saying, you know. 
uh, there is no no way to find him guilty of any Roman or Jewish law. You know, so now everybody, Rome, Romans, Jewish officials, everyone has said the same thing. Man, uh, he hasn't done anything. So again, innocent, 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 innocent. Again, I remind you, this is so much the way Luke writes the story of the trial of Jesus. You know, you know, Pilate, everybody declares him innocent, and yet still he goes to the cross. Paul is declared innocent by all courts of law and hearings and proceedings, but that doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to escape, you know, uh, execution uh, for the name of Jesus. Uh, God bless his soul. Isn't he amazing? Pick up right here tomorrow, chapter 27. Chapter 27, I think it's a whole chapter. Uh, chapter. No, let's just go up to the shipwreck. Uh, tomorrow, chapter 27, verses 1 to 26. It's a long chapter. 27, verses 1 to 26. Have a good Tuesday. Uh, I'm heading off to staff meeting with, uh, with, uh, with uh, the team here at Woodburn. I love those with whom I serve. Pray for us today. Pray that God will always give us wisdom as we lead. And I love you all so much. Have a great day. Stay in the word. I'll see you in the morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for 2 with Tim. I love you guys.